tonight. Happy New Year. We are breaking down the economy in 2022, all the ways your 401k might be impacted. You're listening to Simply Money. I'm Amy Wagner, along with Steve Sprovac. We hope your 2022 is off to a great start. Uh, joining us like he does every Monday, Allworth's Chief Investment Officer, Andy Stout. He's in charge of making, you know, some major investment decisions for billions of dollars. He does it from right here in Cincinnati. Uh, Andy, Happy New Year to you. What is it that you're looking at right now as far as the start of 2022? What are you keeping your eye on? Well, we closed out 2021 on a, on a pretty good note, and we can get to that in a minute. But as we look ahead to 2022, there are certainly quite a few things on the horizon that we as investors need to be mindful of. For example, we have rising Omicron cases, record levels. We're averaging right now over the past seven days, 405,000 new cases. That easily surpasses the prior high of 251,000 that we had in January of 2021. So when we look at just the absolute number of cases, uh, it's it's just a, over the top of a mountain right now. And when we think about that, well, you might be thinking, well, why did we end such the year on such a strong note? I mean, there are some good things associated with this strain compared to two other ones. The symptoms do appear to be more mild than especially the Delta variant. The death rate, the hospitalization rate, they're also lower, although I mean, on an absolute level, both are rising, but they're a lot lower uh, relative to new cases. And when we think about just the bigger picture of things, when people who have been infected with Omicron, uh, when they do get that, they do appear to be uh, more resistant to the Delta variant. And we're also seeing cases start to decline in South Africa. If you remember that South Africa is where the Omicron was first detected. So watching Omicron, watching it very carefully, watching its potential economic impact, watching inflation, that's all obviously on the top of a lot of people's mind and also watching what the Fed might do in response to inflation. Andy, my, my biggest surprise, I think, of 2021 was not just the strength of the stock market, but, but the Santa Claus rally that we finished on a really, really strong note. I really thought at some point during the course of the year there was going to be a correction. We're, in my view, we're still overdue for a correction. How surprised are you at the overall strength of the stock market in 2021? If, if you look at the drops during calendar years, Last year, there wasn't much of a drop. To your point, the biggest drop from a high to low was about 5% uh, when we look at you know, large cap stocks in general. And when we think about a Santa Claus rally, like you were just asking there, you know, it certainly looked a little suspicious, right? I mean, in just in three days in the middle of December, <laughs> uh, the, the Dow fell like 4% from roughly 36,200 to 34,600. That was a pretty big drop in the Dow and that had a lot of people nervous. But what happened? What it seems to happen almost every year, you know, Santa Claus delivered some presents to investors. And when we opened them up, we had a decent December when it was all said and done. You know, Andy, uh, this is the time of year where there's all the headlines about the best stock picks for 2022, which sectors you have to be in, which company you need to be investing in. Uh, what is your, I just want to get your reaction uh, as someone who's been doing this for a really long time. When you see headlines like that, what do you say to people who are investors? Well, yeah, the headlines you're seeing right now, Amy, are people 
investors should focus on companies that have uh, you know strong profit margins so they can withstand inflation maybe they're not as reliant on uh, labor where there could be labor shortages and people demanding higher wages so those are the stocks you should invest in well everyone already knows those are probably the ones that have already been rewarded, right? But if we look ahead, no one knows what's going to happen on a day-to-day -day or a month-to-month basis. I will read every year and throughout the year, everybody's pick on why this sector should do this or this stock should do this. And then there's someone who says the exact opposite of that. Yep. Quite frankly, trying to pick the best stocks, it's a really tough game. And if you look at the average, uh, if you look at just the professional investors who do stock picking, on average, uh, they fail to beat their mid benchmark by a wide margin. I mean, there are there's some data that show that stock pickers, it's about 85% fail to beat their benchmark. So when we look at that, you know, that would tell me, well, yeah, it's a good it's a good story, but it doesn't always play out in reality. Well, and and we've always uh, we've always been big on index funds and and diversification. And let's just say you are fully diversified. Let's talk a little bit about the bond side of the market because we, we always talk about the stock side, and that's what everybody follows. You know, what the market do today? If the Fed is going to be raising interest rates in 2022, one of the concerns I'm hearing from investors is, well, that means bonds will get crushed, um, which you and I both know isn't necessarily the case. There are strategies you can use in the bond market and still keep them as kind of your shock absorber. But talk to me a little bit about what areas of bonds might do a little bit better in a rising interest rate environment. Well, it will depend on how the economy responds. So if we're in a growing economy, then corporate bonds should outperform government bonds. And we saw that uh, actually in, during a lot of the time when the Fed was raising interest rates in the 70s and 80s, where corporate bonds, despite the Fed aggressively raising interest rates in that really high inflationary period, bonds still produced a positive rate of return. Uh, and that was mostly uh, because of corporate bonds. So when we think about that, we see low recession risk, then corporate bonds should outperform treasury bonds. Then you have to look at what type of corporate bond. You wanna think about a short term, intermediate term, long term. Uh, it gets a little bit more nuanced in there. And I, there's a lot of things to actually look at. Uh, but in a perfect world, what you could see is you could see short term bonds outperform longer term bonds uh, if the Fed is raising rates. Now, if the economy starts to you know get a little bit weaker and investors start to get a little bit nervous out there then what you could see is you could see treasury bonds outperform corporate bonds because that's what happens uh, or what happens then is there's a flight to safety by investors they want to go ahead and buy what's going to be safe out there and usually that's also going to be steve longer term bonds if there's economic weakness because if you think about short term intermediate term or long term Intermediate term bonds are going to be more reflective of what the Federal Reserve is doing at this point in time, raising rates. So if uh, just as a friendly reminder, interest rates and bond prices move in opposite directions, kind of like a teeter-totter. When one goes up, the other goes down. So short-term bonds would be more negatively impacted by rate hikes. But if the Fed hikes too quickly and the economy becomes a, a little bit wobbly, if you will, then that longer-term interest rate, that's more reflective of future economic growth. Uh, and actually Fed rate cuts down the road. That's what, actually, what's, what starts to get priced in. So then you could see 
long-term rates come down while short-term rates go up. And you would want to, in that situation, long-term treasury bonds could outperform other areas of the market. But as you can tell, there's a lot of factors that go into it well beyond what we just talked about there. You're listening to Simply Money tonight here on 55KRC. Happy New Year. We are breaking down what we see uh, for the year ahead, for the month ahead, for the days ahead uh, with our chief investment officer, Andy Stout, joining us as he does every Monday. You know, Andy, uh, we're talking about the Fed, uh, and I know there's a lot of people out there who are concerned that the Fed hiking rates this year will, uh, you know, hike us into a recession. I've seen all kinds of doomsday headlines along those lines of you know, just just saying a recession is coming. Uh, this is the year that the market in the, these headlines are out there every year. Uh, but you do something, um, our recession kind of scorecard index, where you look at a, a number of kind of economic indicators, pieces of the economy. So when you look at that, what do you truly see for the coming months ahead? That's a, a great point, Amy. One of the things we talk about a lot is what might the economy do in the future? We already know what it's done in the past. We can see what's affecting the economy today, but that doesn't necessarily mean that's where we're going to be at in six to nine months from now. You know, that's why we do have our all worth recession index where what we're doing is we're looking at 10 leading economic indicators and these leading economic indicators, those are data points that move before the broad economy moves. So in other words, we could see one of our indicators go down and that could signal a slowdown ahead, or they could be raising up, rising up and that would signal economic strength ahead. When we look at these 10 indicators, currently only one of the 10 is signaling an economic slowdown. So our all worth recession index is at 10% right now. And we really wouldn't get too worried about uh, a recession until we got to around 40 or 50% of the indicators signaling a economic slowdown. So we're not there yet. We still see low recession risk, at least over the next six to nine months. All right, so so I've got my big question is what about crypto? I I, I it, it just it, it fascinates me how that segment that didn't exist a few years ago has just absolutely taken off. And and I just saw an article uh, over the the weekend. My my son, uh, my older son, texted me. Um, that was kind of a gloom and doom. Dad, do you you know do you agree with any of these points? And, and basically, the the gist of the article was the markets are going to collapse by gold by crypto. I, I just I have a hard time seeing crypto being in the same category as gold or being in any category. Give me your thoughts on crypto. Will it survive? Will, will it will we be talking about cryptocurrency in 2022, 2023 and, and so on? Do you think it's a real I, asset class? Yes. I, I Well, I, it is a real asset class. I do not think it is going away, especially if you look at the bigger picture on the technology side and everything going to the metaverse, if you will. I mean, we can definitely go down a rabbit hole and start talking about the metaverse and non-fungible tokens or NFTs and crazy things like that. But with that being said, yes, it is an asset class, but should that be in a lot of investors' portfolio? Probably not given the inherent volatility of it. It's extremely volatile. And we think about protecting uh, people's money for so they can enjoy retirement. Just the volatility of cryptocurrency means that you could see 10, 20% moves in one day. It's It can be mind boggling when you look at it that way. I mean, just a few weeks ago, you know, Bitcoin was trading at 68,000 or thereabouts. Now it's around 47,000 uh, in, in that general range and just some really, really big moves. Now I had a great year overall when you look mm -hmm. at the last 12 months, but then since the 
over the past month, it's it's lost a lot of value. The question is, what's going to happen in this upcoming year? Is it going to 100,000? Is it going to go back down to zero? A lot of it might depend on what the Fed does. Uh, if the Fed uh, does get very aggressive in fighting inflation, that you know could present what's called a risk-off environment where investors don't want to have anything to do with risk at all. In that situation, it's possible the Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies could decline in value. Where I think Bitcoin does have some value over the long run is on the whole blockchain technology side of things. And you know there will be one winner of cryptocurrency when it's all said and done. It might be Bitcoin, could be Ethereum, could be you know, Do you think it's doggy coin? Because that's Steve's favorite. He really likes the Doge coin. <laughs> I love. I I hope it's doggy coin. Let me just say it that way. <laughs> that would be great. Uh, but I, I think what it really amounts to is the the value of Bitcoin or whatever the winner is is which one will be the winner, and that's really going to be based on speculation. It's hard to to value any of these coins on some sort of like intrinsic value because there's no way to look at the cash flows and what it's worth. I think it's really just based on which one will ultimately be the winner. Here's the Simply Money point. You can ignore the headlines. You are seeing maybe doom and gloom. You are seeing here is the stock to pick for this year. Have a plan. Stick to it. Uh, same plan that you had in 2021, right? Long-term investors know you can ignore the headlines. You can ignore the noise. Stick with your plan. If you can't listen to Simply Money every night, subscribe to our weekly podcast. It's the best of Simply Money on the iHeart app or wherever you find your podcast. Coming up, some jaw-dropping stats on the state of retirement in America. What you need to know in 2022 in order to make sure your retirement is on track. You're listening to Simply Money here on 55KRC, the talk station. You're listening to Simply Money. I'm Amy Wagner along with Steve Sprovac. Ahead at 643, what 2022 could bring for the housing market. You know, Cincinnati, Steve, we're proud of ourselves for a lot of things, but number one being that we can throw back some beer. Beer drinking. And we have, yes, and we have been <laughs> the number one beer city in the country for two straight years in horrible news to start off the, the new year we have been dethroned people you're not doing your job come What's on wrong and, and the worst part of this is we lost to pittsburgh oh we can beat them in football finally but we can't beat them in drinking <laughs> beer for crying out loud Oh, goodness. <laughs> Let's yeah, put our big so, boy pants on and get back to number one. Come on. Yes. <laughs> All right. So this survey that they do every year looks at the total number of breweries, the number of breweries per residence, average number of beers per brewery. I mean, they really break this down. Super scientific. Oh, we need stuff. to get in on this research project. Yeah, we need more data happy. points. I would be happy to add to the data on this one. Uh, here's, here's what the survey says. We rank 11th overall total number of breweries. Uh, we've got 31. We're 22nd for breweries per 100,000 residents. Um, breweries in the Queen City, City feature on average 128 beers. Um, this is interesting. I thought the average price of a pint rose from four to five dollars, which has yeah. us tied for the two hundred and fourth cheapest. I, I just uh, have, I, I have a hard time. Cheap. I have a hard time believing that other cities have more breweries, more microbreweries, because they're, it, they're like Starbucks. They're on every corner now. Yeah, you know. Truly. And I'm seeing over in Milford. Okay, there's Little Miami Brewing Company, great little place. But across the street now, instead of a microbrew, now we're getting into micro distilleries. 
they're built Ooh. they're building a little distillery so uh, we're yeah. diversifying <laughs> we're getting more <laughs> on our drinking <laughs> more hardcore more, yeah more hardcore drinking that's all there is to it but maybe no that, that's it, I, I, maybe I, the research should look at that maybe we've just gone from <laughs> beer to harder stuff and we'll just be number one i don't know and that's I, I i just have a hard time believing that any other city has more micro brews in cincinnati i mean this is this is German heritage incarnate. Yes. Yeah, you know, it, it's like we used to, the Queen City. We used to be the number one in number of breweries back in you know late eighteen hundreds, early nineteen hundreds, and, and I, you know we were there again. We were number one in the whole country, and, and now we're we're getting toppled off by Pittsburgh. Come on, yeah. come on, come on, everyone, yeah. drink up in twenty twenty two. We gotta we gotta take over the top spot again. Um, just drive, of course, responsibly. Uh, you know, your retirement um, may not be what you think it's going to be because there are some numbers out uh, that show some kind of jaw-dropping statistics about the reality of your retirement. And one of those, Steve, is that we're living longer. So yeah. our retirement is longer than maybe we were expecting, planning for, and, and most importantly, saving for. Well, and, and obviously that's a good thing. But I think what shocked me most about this study, Amy, is, is the average retirement age, which in the 90s was age 60, is now age 66. People are working six years longer than, than back in the 90s. And and that shocks me. And what, what I'm wondering about, you know, as you, you read into the numbers, is it because there were a lot of layoffs in the 90s? I mean, we, we had some companies here in Cincinnati that, you know, forced layoffs, forced retirements. They didn't call them forced, but hey, we're going to give you an early retirement offer. And by the way, if you don't take it, you might not have a job. You, you, you know, so that to me, that's a forced retirement. And, sure. and and I think we saw a lot of people that, and some, some are people I, I still work with that, you know, I'll ask them now, I'm 62, and I'll say, by the way, when was it we first met when you retired? Oh, yeah, I retired at 59. Really? Younger than I am now. What am I doing wrong? <laughs> yeah, you know, you know, but there's but, some perspective. But, but in all seriousness, you know, people are working longer. And I, I think there's a bigger concern, and I'm not sure this is a bad concern, Amy, that we know we're living longer and we want to enjoy life. So let's, you know, work an extra year or two, pile up a few more dollars so that we don't sweat money because that, that's the biggest concern is, you know, are, am I going to run out of money? You know, yeah. That's that's what we plan for is make sure we have enough and don't run out. Well, keep in mind the average American now living to about 79 years old. So, uh, you know, and, and many living much longer than that. I've seen statistics if you make it to 65, yeah. your likelihood of making it to 80 to 90 is yep. that much higher. We're living longer. You have to plan for that. Here's a statistic that really worries me. You're tapping into your retirement funds Early. So this is a TD Ameritrade survey. 44% of Americans between the ages of 40 and 79 have taken money out of a retirement plan. Uh, 46% of people 40 to 49 have done so. So almost half. Yeah. If yeah. you are the ages of 40 to 49, so critical years for building that retirement money and you're tapping into it. Uh, well, you know, if you're 79, it's okay to tap into your retirement yes. plan. But if you're 40, you know, here's the big problem. The average the average amount of retirement funds for a retiree in this country is only about $107,000. And yeah. so if you've got 100 grand saved up, you're, you're average. And, and that scares me because if you're going to draw 4% off of your retirement funds, um, that's not that much money. 
You, you know, that's why when you hear what's your number, usually you start off thinking, well, maybe a million, because if you draw 4% off a million dollars, there's 40 grand plus your uh, Social Security benefit. And if you're married, your, your spouse's Social Security. So, you know, when you only have $100,000, you're not really thinking of that as income. You're thinking of that as, as okay, that's, that's my emergency fund. Simply many points. Stats are bleak. Too many Americans just don't have enough saved. So plan early so you're not one of the stats. Coming up at 634, a warning you need to hear from our tech expert about scanning those QR codes on your phone. You're listening to Simply Money here on 55KRC, the talk station. You're listening to Simply Money tonight. I'm Amy Wagner along with Steve Spovak. You have probably used a QR code at some point especially since this pandemic has started, right? When you weren't touching restaurant um, menus anymore in restaurants, you would just scan a QR code with your phone. Now there's an issue though that maybe you can be hacked. So joining us tonight with a great warning on what you need to know is our tech expert, Dave Hatter from Intrust IT. Um, Dave, this is crazy. I've used QR codes so many times over the past year, and now you're telling me they're not necessarily all safe? Yeah, Amy, I'm really glad you decided to, to bring this up because I think it's so important for people. QR codes have really kind of exploded since the pandemic. As you mentioned, as a result of the whole and, the, you know, everything should be touchless at the beginning of the pandemic when folks are trying to figure out, like, how was COVID, you know, transmitted and that sort of thing. Sure. Um, and, you know, they're very easy to use. And just for what it's worth, QR stands for quick response code. This is those weird square barcodes that you'll see on things like in a restaurant's table rather than a menu where you scan it with your phone. And it, these have taken off because most people have smartphones. You just point the phone, take a picture, it scans it. That's the problem though, Amy, is that because they're so easy to use and because they've come become very prevalent and because the bad guys, as you know, are very creative, very devious, and frankly, downright evil, they've realized that a good way to scam people is through QR codes, whether that's physically by going into somewhere like a Kroger or a restaurant or anywhere where someone might be inclined to want to scan a QR code because they want to get a coupon or a menu or whatever, right? There's mm -hmm. all kinds of different legitimate ways these are used. You know, I could walk through a store, I could have my own QR codes made up, put them over top of the legitimate QR code. And now when you scan it, depending on, you know, how far I want to take my hack, take you to a site that looks just like the Kroger site and try to lead yeah. you down a path or, or whatever it is. But there's another interesting angle. And I guess why this is important is because most people don't realize that a QR code, in addition to launching a website, can do things like send a text, make a phone call. Um, do it. There's a variety of different things you can make them do if you know what you're doing. But there's no way from the naked eye to look at a QR code and know what it does and know that it's malicious and hackers, in addition to what I've just outlined, have gotten wise, and they've seen these attacks in Germany where you get an email that purports to be from a bank, and it has a QR code in it rather than a link to click or a button or something like that. And the reason why they're doing this is because most antivirus software is not currently capable of scanning that QR code to determine it's malicious. You as a human being can't tell that it's malicious. You get it. It looks like it came from a legitimate organization. You take a picture of the thing. And now you're down their rabbit hole and they have been able to probably in most cases get around any kind of security software you may have running that might have caught that if that were just a link or a button or something. So it's it's pretty nefarious and pretty evil and just, you know, yet another example of how creative these folks are in terms of trying to steal your money and your data. 
Faith Hatter, our tech expert, joining us tonight, telling us about QR code, right? These quick response codes, you see them in restaurants, uh, retailers, everywhere. Dave, when I think about it, you know, two years ago, I think, okay, my 73-year-old father would have had no idea how to use these, but they have become just so normal during the pandemic that I've seen him sit down at a restaurant, pull out his phone. So we're all using these. If this is something that can be used against us, is there anything that we can do to protect ourselves? Well, Yes and no. Unfortunately, I agree with you completely. They are everywhere now. And for the most part, they are super convenient and easy to use. And, you know, for anyone that's got a smartphone, it is kind of point and click and it goes, right? But that, of course, is the downside. So really about all you can do at this point until the antivirus endpoint protection software out there can kind of catch up with this um, is have awareness that any QR code you come across could be bogus. Right, whether it's a physical one, again, you walk into a restaurant, there would be nothing that would stop me as a hacker from going into a restaurant, maybe a restaurant that has you know a lot of customers every day, and putting stickers over top of the existing QR code sticker for the menu. Now, obviously, if it does something crazy, people are going to report that to the restaurant, and that's probably not going to last very long. But mm-hmm. you know, depending on what a hacker's objective is. You know, and, and you may even go as far, and this is kind of getting out there, but if I knew someone I was trying to target, maybe I'm a private eye, maybe I'm an enemy spy. If I knew someone I was trying to target ate at the same place every day or ate at the same place frequently, what would stop me from going in, slapping a QR code down on that table? Um, they show up, and then, you know, I am now potentially in a place where I can try to hack them. Again, that's kind of an extreme example, but it's it's a real example. So it's awareness that these things could be malicious, And it's not scanning them unless you either A, absolutely positively have to, or B, are absolutely positively certain that the thing is legit. Going back to the email example I gave earlier, a hacker can send these to you via email knowing that it's probably going to circumvent your antivirus software and that when you scan it, they can, you know, take you down whatever sort of dark path they want to take you down because the average person doesn't realize these things can be used maliciously. So again, it's Right now, it's mostly awareness and, frankly, not scanning any QR codes that you don't absolutely have to scan. And I would just remind folks, almost always, if there's some kind of QR code you're supposed to scan, there's usually some kind of website address or something that goes along with it. You know, you could type that in or if the thing purports to be for a coupon for Kroger or whatever, go to Kroger's website and look it up on their own, on your own. You know, we always talk about go out of band. Don't click the link, don't click the button, don't click the link in the text or whatever. Understand anything practically nowadays can be faked. And, you know, go start your own transaction, open your browser on your own, and go do whatever it is you're trying to do. Don't fall for the, oh, this thing is so convenient, I'm just going to scan this, and then potentially something bad happens. Well, and that's my frustration, right? Like, this is so convenient. It would be so easy if you could just go into a restaurant, scan the QR code and not have to worry about it. But I love that you are kind of bringing to light the fact that it's not that easy, right? Wherever something is convenient, there's always going to be someone who's trying to take advantage of that. So maybe you ask for the menu now. Maybe you go directly to the website, whatever it takes. But, you know, how this has kind of become second nature to scan these QR codes, you're saying, hey, think twice. Uh, Yes, because there are real-world examples out there of these kinds of hacks in the wilderness where people are exploiting these kind of things. You know, if you go to the local skyline and you scan the QR code, in all likelihood, it's probably legit. It's probably okay. 
but understand mm -hmm. that it might not be. And you know me, Amy, I'm the tinfoil hat guy. I'm not going to scan the QR code. I'm going to ask for the menu because I'm just that guy and I know that this is a possibility. And again, I think it's it's unlikely that most people are just gonna randomly run into one of these things. I think the bigger threat is this phishing thing we talked about where you might get an email that looks legit, it's got a QR code in it because they're purposefully trying to circumvent your antivirus software. And I, I definitely, I would definitely not scan any QR code that gets sent to me via text, email, shows up on a social media type site, I absolutely positively will not scan those under any circumstances. You know, you've not I'm solicited, right? If you've not solicited yes. that information and it comes to you, avoid those QR codes. A great warning tonight yep. from Dave Hatter, our tech expert on ways that you can continue to make sure that you are safe. Uh, talk to your loved ones about this right over the holidays, your parents, your children, make sure they understand that these QR codes aren't necessarily safe. You've been listening to Simply Money tonight here on 55KRC. We are the talk station. You're listening to Simply Money. I'm Amy Wagner, along with Steve Sprovac. Coming up, the top 10 money resolutions. If you were going to pick 10 things we would say we recommend, this could turn your money life around in 2022. We've got those for you. Looking back, 2021 was a crazy year for real estate. And Steve, I think there's a lot of people who are wondering what will 2022 yeah. bring for home buyers. You know, I think there's a lot of people who uh, were interested in buying in 2021. You got outbid. It was just such a crazy environment. There's a lot of people, I think, who stepped back and are saying, I'm going to test the waters maybe again in 2022. Yeah, and, and it was crazy. I, I mean, it was yeah. absolutely crazy. You, you could easily put an offer in on a house. And if you weren't above list, um, you were one of maybe 20 or 30 offers that came in the first day or two it was listed. It, it was it was nuts. And, and it probably is going to cool down a little bit, Amy, because the Fed is talking about raising interest rates. But everything I'm hearing is, OK, 30 year mortgage might bump up to three and a half to four percent. Historically, that's still low. But what, what it may very well do is slow down the market so that it, you know, people have a, a real chance of buying a house that they're interested in. Because last year, there, there was a good chance you got closed out of everything you tried to buy. Yeah, I think there's a lot of people who ended up in that position. And you're right. I think, though, if you're looking for um, some kind of hope here, it's probably going to be later in 2022, where you start yeah. to see the competition falling away, rates rising um, in, you know, mortgage rates will rise. We think that's going to translate to about 100 more a month. For yeah. homeowners if and, you're looking and, to buy. And there's some good news with that because, all right, interest rates are going to be a little bit higher. They'll they'll probably slow the market down a little bit. But, you know, it, it's also going to be um, – it's going to help first-time home buyers, Amy, because first-time home buyers they really can't go into a bidding war, at least in, in most cases. Yeah. And, you know, if interest rates are 2.5%, yeah, you might you might be able to ask fifty or seventy five thousand dollars more for your house than you would in a normal environment. So I think it'll it'll just slow the whole process down. But I um, Ann's uh, brother uh, came out to visit us this weekend. He's a, a very successful realtor up in Minnesota, and I, I I picked his brain a little bit. He's driving, by the way, from the Twin Cities to Key West. Just think about oh, that. He got a, and he got out of Dodge just in time. But he, he thinks the market's still going to stay strong through uh, 2022. We'll, yeah. we'll see. You know, as long as we don't see mortgage rates get up much over 4%, I think you'll still see a healthy market, just not the craziness that we saw last year. 
Something else I think you'll see uh, this year, maybe a trend that kind of started in 2021. If you're not interested in moving, you might get new neighbors. And those new neighbors may, can you believe this, not be uh, from Cincinnati, right? I mean, we we don't leave, um, but what more and more people are realizing is they can work remotely. Yeah. Uh, the cost of living in this area is so much more manageable than it is in other places. So you may have more neighbors coming from big cities. Yeah, you know, it's it, it's really interesting. And uh, we're seeing this at my younger sons. Uh, he, he and his family live in Phoenix. And they're yeah. seeing a huge influx of Californians that, oh, uh, for, sure. for the most part, they're just tired of paying taxes. And what are we getting for that high price that we're paying? But it's not just California. We're seeing it in New Jersey, New York, uh, the Chicago area. Um, they're, they're With technology and the ability to work from home, they don't have to live where they've been living. And there's a lot of people reevaluating, hey, I can do the same job. And if I'm working remotely... Uh, I, I can be anywhere. And they're seeing, you know, they're going into the good values and Cincinnati has, and I think will remain one of the best values in the country. I was at the grocery store um, right before Christmas and it was behind some woman who was talking about the fact that they had talked about moving to California for retirement for the weather. And she was mm-hmm. like, I'm like, well, why would we do that and pay higher prices when we've got a we've got a 70 degree day coming or what was it, 60 <laughs> degree day? Now she might be feeling differently this week. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think we're, we're heading into the 20s or something as high. Um, but it is like there's a lot of reasons why the Midwest is just yeah. appealing, and I think we're going to see more people coming in. Also, Gen Z buyers entering the fray now. 45 million members of uh, Generation Y between the ages of 26 and 35 are, are turning into this Gen Z this year. And so many of them are kind of in the process of getting to yeah. the age where they're forming families, buying homes, yep. that kind of thing. And as a result, those are going to be the people who are entering this first-time homebuyer market. Yeah, that that whole generation, they just seem like they're taking their time and and marrying later, having kids later, at least than, than you know, my generation did. And, and a lot of these people have been renting. So, you know, we, we're looking, and, and this is really what's been driving the, the real estate market. It's not just people moving in from out of state, but there hasn't been as much new home building at, really ever since 2008, 2009. Uh, yeah. And you've got this very large segment, 45 million individuals fall in that category of Gen, Gen Z, that, that they're not in a big hurry, but now they're at the point in life where we do need to buy a house. And, and that's that's a lot of demand that's out there. It's going to take another couple of years, I think, before this market sets settles down to the way it was a couple of years ago. I think you're right. I think real estate is starting to normalize, if, if you will. Yeah. Um, but but normal, I don't think we're going to see actual normal or you know pre-pandemic, what yeah. we were used to as normal anytime soon. Here's a Simply Money point. 2022 may not be as hot of a housing market as 2021, but you can still expect to be competing for homes if you are looking to buy. Coming up, our list of the top 10 money resolutions to get your life in order in 2022. You're listening to Simply Money here on 55KRC, the talk station. You're listening to Simply Money. I'm Amy Wagner along with Steve Sprovac. 10 resolutions. We get it. It sounds like a lot. But if you or maybe someone you love actually do these 10 things this year, we're thinking it's going to be a game changer when it comes to your money. Uh, Steve, everyone hates the B word. <laughs> but if you are someone who struggles with money, <laughs> yeah, get a realistic budget and stick to it. And here's what I say. Get the budget. Yeah. Figure it out in January. Stick to it for three or four months and see. Once you see, 
all of a sudden maybe you're sleeping better at night bills yeah. are getting paid more like it once you get a, kind of on a roll you can it's much more easy to stick with it. if there's one source one primary source separate from health issues in retirement it's understanding how much you spend. I, I mean, it's night and day, yeah. Amy. I mean, I've done yep. this many, many decades. And, and, you know, when someone knows how much roughly they spend on a monthly basis, they go into retirement calm, cool, and collected other than health and, and you know, economic concerns. When somebody has no clue, they, they, they don't sleep. They don't, yeah. under, they don't know what's going to happen. So instead of calling it a budget, how about understand your spending, uh, your spending habits? Understand how much you spend on average, and it doesn't have to be to the penny. But I, I've had people show me plans I did pre-retirement years ago, and Steve, where's the $7 million you said I'd have? I said, okay, why don't you spend the $2,500 a month you told me you were going to spend? Well, who, <laughs> yes. I never told you that. Yes, you did. That's why I came up with these numbers. If you spend four grand, but tell an advisor you spend 2500 a month, they're going to be two totally different retirement plans. That's all there is. Well, and to so it. That what you can do is really do the anti-budget. In, yeah. in this, this continues. I think that's better. Pay your bills. Pay your bills right after getting your paycheck. Yeah. Right. Pay those first and foremost, and then and, and include in that your retirement savings. And then what's left over, you spend. Also, here's where you're going to get a good night's sleep. Adding to your emergency fund. At least have an emergency fund. Yes. Yeah. Start one if you don't have yeah. one. Add a month to your yep. emergency fund this year. If you can get to three to six months of critical expenses, you're going to feel so much better. If you've got credit card debt, pay it off or start by paying off 20% of it. Just get some momentum going. Put, put a plan together to get rid of your debt. Paying off yes. credit card debt is no fun. It takes forever, and all you have to show for it is a lower balance. You don't have you know, a new car or something that you bought. It's just getting your balance down. But man, oh man, when you've been in a debt issue and you resolve it, and it might take a year or longer, but when you get rid of that credit card debt, you all of a sudden free up money for anything else you want to do, and you don't feel that pressure that you had while you had all of that debt. Get rid of it. Something else, and you know I'm a total money nerd, and I admit it. Whenever I see those like online quizzes on yeah. whatever, CNBC, I always take them because uh, I want to make sure I get 100. If, if you're someone who is just starting to want to learn more about money, maybe that's why you're listening to the show right now. You've decided that in 2022, you're going to get it figured out. Knowledge is power. And so just having a, a, a basic kind of one-on-one money yeah. level understanding is going to make your life so much easier. And also check your credit score. If you don't have great credit, credit take steps to improve it. One of the things you can do, though, is check it because I think I've seen 30% plus of credit reports have mistakes in them that can affect your credit score. So understand how that works. And some of them are just real basic of, oh, that, that's my dad's address or or that's yeah. you know my sibling's address or, or where did that credit card come from? Resolve it and, and you know get yourself a couple of extra points. It, it's very important to, to understand these basic concepts, Amy. Focus on these things. If you get these under control, you're going to be in much better financial shape in 2022 and beyond. You've been listening to Simply Money tonight here on 55KRC, the talk station.